If you go through a design process, by the time you get to the end and you develop a product, making any significant change to that is not only nearly impossible, it's often very costly. A lot of people, when they go to a new location, they buy one of the travel guides to that country. And ideas that are all centered or framed with the goal of supporting identity development. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, educators and innovators, welcome to the electrifying season three of ISSEDU Learn. Ask me anything with your dynamic host, Mike P and Dana. We're not just here to make waves, we're here to ride the tidal waves of your incredible support to the 21,000 strong downloaders and listeners who joined us on this incredible journey. We tip our hats to you. Your unwavering enthusiasm and active engagement fuels the very heartbeat of our mission. This season, we're not holding back. We're unleashing a tsunami of valuable insights, strategies, and practical wisdom that will effortlessly weave into the tapestry of your educational institutions. Whether you're ready to implement change today or set sail on a journey of profound exploration, trust us, we got you covered. For the inside scoop of upcoming events and certification opportunities that rock your world, point your browsers to iss.edu slash events. Are you ready to ride the podcast wave of a lifetime? Mike P and Dana are here to make it happen. Let the learning adventures begin. ISSEDU Learn, Ask Me Anything, Season 3. Dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, educators and change makers, welcome to another enlightening episode of EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything, brought to you by ISS EDU Learn. I'm your host, Mike P., your favorite educator interviewer, alongside with my co-host, Dr. Dana Speckowatt, who is the Director of Learning and Research and Outreach at ISS. How are you feeling today, Dana? I am feeling good. It's starting to become fall here, which is nice. My favorite time of year. Ah, uh, good one. I was going to say, what's the weather like by you? And does the weather temper with your mood? Oh, I love this time of year. So it's all good. Good to hear. Get ready for the pumpkin spice and all that extra stuff. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to season three, episode two of our podcast. We want to extend our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you for incredible support that has led to an astonishing 20,000 downloads. And listen, your enthusiasm and engagement really fuels our mission here. And this season, like I said last, stated the last episode, we're here to deliver the most valuable and practical information, insights, and strategies that you can seamlessly integrate into your educational institutions. Whether you're looking to immediately implement something or dive deeper into another topic, we're here and got you covered. Stay tuned this season. And while we fill you with enriching discussions and actionable takeaways, before we get started today, just a couple of housekeeping items as usual. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and leave us a review on all your favorite podcast platforms. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and of course, Spotify, and many more. If I'm missing one, please shoot us a message of sorts and I'll get it on that platform. Also, please. Stay updated with all of our upcoming events and certifications by visiting us at ISSEDU slash events. And if you're looking for your next job opportunity, we also have virtual and physical fairs available for you to see. Today, we have another special guest with us, Jordy Godley. Jordy will be sharing his experience and insights with international schools. Jordy recently taught a class with us that can be found on demand within our EDU 
Learn platform. The course was designed to teach educators how to engage with the disability in community and gain a greater understanding of challenges faced by disabled people. And that brings us to our topic today, which is empowering educators to reduce harm, a deeper dive into disability practices for the betterment of disabled students in international schools. And before we dive into this critical topic, just wanted to us to get to know our guests a little bit better. So Jordy, you could just please tell our audience a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background at international schools, and also if you consider yourself a TCK, third culture kid. Hi, thanks for having me, Mike and Dana. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Hi, everyone. My name is Jordy. I am indeed a TCK, <laughs> a third culture kid. Very proud one. I wear that badge on my sleeve every day. I am a fashion consultant and digital content creator who specializes in disability inclusion, particularly in the fashion industry and beyond. And my experience in international schools, I've grown up in them. I, from all the way from elementary school up until now, well, up until I graduated high school, I'm sorry. My last school I attended was the Western Academy in Beijing, which I'm an incredibly proud alumni of, and various other international schools as well, including Brent International School, Manila, Beacon International School, and many more. And so, yeah, that's my international school background. I'm a proud international school student. Loved every minute of it. And yeah, honestly, the experience, I just, yeah, I couldn't speak highly, more highly of international schools and, and the amazing experiences students have there. So I'm very excited to share with you all today. We're so excited to have you here. And I just remember when I first met you back in February at the AAIE conference, like, I think you share the same love and joy of international schools as I do. And I think the other part that I like completely admire and love about you that I think we have in common is we also know they can do better. And I think that's why we started like <laughs> chit-chatting because we're like, okay, we love these schools. They're so fabulous. But what could we do better? And if we're not trying to be better and if we're not actually holding a mirror up to ourselves and then we're in this false echo chamber of, oh yeah, we're great. Oh yeah, we're great. We're not great. Every organization, every different type of industry can continue to get better. But I think that international schools are phenomenal. It's just, we could get better. So how do you think we could get better? Wow. That's a really big question. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very big question. Honestly, I, you know, I think that every international school is unique. And I think that, you know, as you said, we kind of get stuck in this, we're great, we're great mindset in internationals, which we are, but I think it's also about reflecting, right? And I think a lot of schools need to kind of sit back and reflect and, and listen to students as to how they can get better. Hence why I was at the AIE conference in February, right, with other alumni to share our experiences and help educators understand how they can improve their schools. And so I think it's really about listening to alumni voices, first and foremost, and listening to student voices as well, because if we're unable to take what, I guess, those experiences into account, we're unable to grow, right? Whether those are good or bad experiences. And so I think it's all about having dialogue with students, with teachers, with past students. I think that's one way that schools could get better. 
I think you're onto something too about the fact that too often we forget about asking the alumni about their experiences while they were at the school. Like we often like what well, might ask students, but students then there's a power position there, right? So they're not going to say something. They may feel more concerned about speaking up about things that happened to them, or they may not have either the, the ability to process and be able to verbalize what happened until they're in different situations, right? But for our alumni, they have a win-win. It's a win-win for the school because they get to hear from someone who went to the school and then hear and they have had the opportunity and experiences to be able to reflect and be able to give some helpful feedback on the school and we, on things that went well and the, and areas for improvement. Exactly. And I think you you touched on something, something really important there was reflect, right? I think a lot of us, when we graduate from international schools, it does take us a while to process that whole experience that's been such a big part of our lives. And only then we're able to look at, maybe this actually wasn't the best thing that happened at the school. Maybe this the school could have done better in this way. I know I've definitely thought about that from the schools that I've been to as well. Like, yeah, it was great. And this A, B, and C were so amazing. But there are a few other things that, you know, I wish had happened or that I wish were done better than now, now that I think about it more, you know. Well, and when I think about our schools and I think about accessibility in particular, right, like so many of our schools are built in countries and places where perhaps the same rules and regulations that are around the world, like it's not universal, right? Like access for wheelchairs, elevators, just even like I remember being in Hong Kong and realizing that all over at every street walking area like on the street in braille on the ground it says that that's a crosswalk so that you know and I was like oh my god that's so wonderful to have at every single corner right and like so you see different ways different countries approach accessibility and some do it better than others and some schools do it better than others and now schools are really starting to get on board and so I think that's a huge area of growth for all our schools. 100%. Exactly. You know, I I think back to some of my times at schools where, for example, we had fire drills and, you know, there was the procedure put in place for me at one of my schools was like, we'll get the guards to carry him up and down the stairs. And I was like, but is that really really effective? (laughs) Like, what if one of them trips? Or, you know, like, what what if they're incapacitated? You know what I mean? Like, how... (laughs) (laughs) how are they going to help me you know so definitely and I think back to one of my other schools as well like there was a huge ramp and there was no elevator and I had to rely on the kindness of other students to push me up that huge ramp every day to get to classes which was a big thing because it's like you know you don't want to be bothering your, your peers right and so like what practices could have been put in place to make that easier for me you know now thank god they have an elevator you know now I'm not there but yeah <laughs> So, but I, I think also talking about accessibility and just talking about again exposure to disability, I think a lot of schools won't realize how they need to be accessible unless they have students with disabilities in their school. And I can tell you from experience that a lot of schools that you know I applied to or my mom applied for me to attend, you know, in many different countries, were really hesitant because I had a disability, right? So a lot of the schools wouldn't even want to even look at me because I had a disability. And so how are schools supposed to know or how to be accessible if there are no students to show them how they can be accessible, right? Well, I think that's so true. And I think that in the past, a lot of our international schools really were 
they were really elite and they would not let students with learning disabilities into their school. They would not let students who even if they weren't completely proficient in English, they weren't allowed in the school. If they had any sort of physical disability or anything like that, they just said, oh, this isn't the school for you. Go somewhere else. And luckily the schools have grown quite a bit in their knowledge and how exclusionary they were and now being far more inclusive, but they're also catching up. So they're catching up in their physical space, in just the way that they approach learning, the way they talk about learning, the way they think about who, not just they who they're working with with students, but also the teachers, right? Like, right. I don't know if ever in my life I've had a teacher who had a visible disability that I knew of. And how important is that for students to see that a person who has a visible disability can also 100% still teach or lead a school? Yeah, exactly. And be an authority figure, right? And be someone that they can look up to, they can go to, that has an important role in their life, right? And I think that, again, exposing kids to that is really important because you're showing them that people with disabilities are able to do anything that someone without a disability could do. I tell you, when I was in grad school, I made this whole game up and it's still in my parents' basement. I should really pull it out. And it was about, I called it something like the ability game. And so like you would be assigned a, a disability, but you would have to show all the ways you had all the things you were able to do. Like I was trying to change mindsets. I don't know. I was 20. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. And this was back in the late 80s, early 90s. Things have changed a little bit. But I was trying to help like the other students, one of my education courses, to think differently about students and people who have some sort of visible disability that in ways that all the things that they could do instead of only seeing what they couldn't do. And so I'm sure it's horrific, but I should pull it out and see what it looks like now. (laughs) Modernize it for today. Yeah, we could maybe use that in some classrooms. Jody, <laughs> <laughs> oh. the first time I met you was also at AAIE. Uh, I was a part of the event management team and everything. And of course, you know, event management is like hospitality. You know, it just comes with being nice and such. So definitely saw that, you know, at the moment you were supposed to be on stage and it, there was no accessibility for you to be on stage. So I had to go and get one of the facilitators over there to kind of get this ramp going. And the reason for that is because I don't know if we mentioned already, but Jordy is in a wheelchair. So I had to assist with that. And then I just say that to say, like, you know, how you just have to be kind to certain people if you know, you know, they can't do something. But something else that also that you stated was kind. And I remember this is like we were speaking about something. I think it was to get you to come and actually come on ISS and do a course with us. And while we were speaking, you know, I'm, I'm six, six, three, six, four. I got on one knee, you know, in order to speak to you because you were so low below me. And I didn't want to like bend down to speak to you because that could be a form of disrespect as well, you know, to kind of bend down and speak to someone. So I got on one knee to get on the same level as you. And so I just asked this question in order to ask, like, how can educators learn to engage with members of the disability community in a way that fosters understanding, empathy, and collaboration, just the way that I did for you during those that moment in time that we had. I think it all comes down to really dialogue, right? And being able to, I guess, look, first and foremost, look at someone 
as a person before looking at their disability, right? So seeing them as a person first before their disability and understanding that any accommodations that need to be made, even though they may be quote like difficult or they may be they may be things that you would find difficult to do. Just imagine how difficult it is for the other the person, the other person, the person who needs the accommodations, right? So really being willing to make it easier for for them, right? For other for people with disabilities. And I remember, and it, you know, it always strikes me when someone does get down on one knee to be at eye level with me because, you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't get offended easily and I don't, you know, think anything bad if someone doesn't do that. But it really shows that that person's, person is being conscious and that they really want to ensure that I'm able to look them in the eye and fully engage them instead of straining my neck and looking up. <laughs> so I really think it's about trying to understand or I guess really engaging with the person engaging with people with disabilities in a way that like you're not I guess othering them but you're also willing to make accommodations if necessary right and I think it's always just being about just trying to be as understanding as possible you know understand that some things may be difficult for them but that's okay and don't let their disability I guess prevent if they don't let their disability prevent them from doing something then then you don't either you know so I think that it's really about also trying to understand or listening to the person about what they feel comfortable being able to do, right? You know, I remember we talked about the ramp and I said to you, you know, how, we talked about how I was going to get up on the stage and you guys put that ramp together in 20 seconds. You know? <laughs> Amazing ramp was put together within like, what, five, 10 minutes or or a little longer, but it was quite quick and easy. And I think in, throughout the whole conference, I think everyone, for me, was just so willing to accommodate and I think that that willingness made me feel totally included, but not feeling like I was burdening or bothering anyone, which is something that, like, at least from my experience, because yeah, I only talk about my experience and I don't speak for the whole disability community, but, you know, I think a lot of the times people with disabilities are made to feel like our disabilities are more of a, a burden on other people, right? And, like, why do we have to think about how to make our disabilities manageable for others? And why don't others think about how to make our disabilities manageable for us, right? And so it's about making sure that, yeah, someone feels like they're totally they're totally able to be included in whatever activity or whatever you're doing, as opposed to kind of, I guess, making them feel like, oh, well, we're doing this for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, just do it. You know, just do it. Like, yeah, no, I understand. Are you an educator looking to elevate your career? Consider more than university your gateway to success in international schools. They offer fully online programs with flexible start dates and affordable tuition rates, allowing you to balance work and personal life. Moreland University isn't your typical institution. Say goodbye to dull lectures and hello to engaging, interactive learning with passionate educators like yourself. It's a hands-on education that sparks creativity and prepares you for the real-world challenges. With Moreland University, you can earn a prestigious U.S. teaching certification or a master's degree in education from anywhere in the world. Their programs are designed to empower you to become a leader in your field. Don't wait. Take your steps forward, transforming your career today. Visit www.moreland.edu and apply now. Let Moreland University help you make a difference in student lives worldwide, one classroom at a time. Your journey to becoming an exceptional educator starts with Moreland University. A brighter future begins with you. Okay, 
in your career. So you're in the fashion industry. So how are you making an impact in the fashion industry so that they're more cognizant of also, like I'm thinking about when I was in a wheelchair, I think I mentioned when we were in the course, I was in a wheelchair for quite some time because I broke my leg and hip in multiple places in high school. But anyway, so I like couldn't wear, I was really restricted on what I could wear for clothes, like even what I could even wear. And part of that was because I had huge pins going through the middle of my leg and I had a cast, it was like 20 pounds on my leg. So, you know, it was tough to put clothes on, but how do you merge those two things together to try to help even improve the fashion industry? Right. I I love this question. I think in terms of, uh, from a design point of view, right. I think it's about when I, when I work with, you know, designers that may not be designing adaptive wear, it's about helping them understand they're able to put adaptive features into their garments without labeling them adaptive and further othering the community. Right. And so there are amazing designers out there who, from the younger generation, who are so inspired by disability, who really believe in making clothes wearable for everyone, right? So there are a lot of designers who are now designing with different types of buttons or different types of like magnets or just to make, you know, I guess you guess you can't expect a label or a brand to make their entire collection accessible for everyone and every single body type because everyone's disability is very different. But I think starting by including adaptive features that anyone can wear and you wouldn't even know were adaptive, but someone in a wheelchair like myself can easily put on this pair of jeans and or wear this suit jacket and not feel like it's being bunched up, you know? So I think that for me, whenever I work with one of brands, even without the disability aspect in mind, you know, just talking to them and getting them to understand, you know, when, when I'm wearing a piece, like, oh, well, you may need to measure this different for me, or you may need to up the hem more. And then now it's to see brands when they dress me for fashion week being like, actually, I've redone this piece for you, just so that, you know, you can wear the jacket and it doesn't kind of bunch up at the top. And, you know, I'm thinking of incorporating this into my whole collection, and, you know, things like, like that. So the social aspect for me, it's more about showing up. And so having that presence at Fashion Week, going to Seoul, going to Shanghai, whether I was in Jakarta, when I started my career in fashion, it was only myself and one other guy in Japan in the whole of Asia with physical disabilities working in fashion. And so for me, I think that impact has been huge. And I really saw this, I think, right before the pandemic when I went to Korea for fashion week and this boy in an electric wheelchair came up to me and said because i've seen you and i've seen what you do in fashion i know i can be a model and so for me that's like the highlight of my career that i was able to inspire someone to pursue their dream in fashion such a look space industry despite having a disability and I think it's because i just do it right like i go to a, a show in shanghai that's in a water tank up you know, 40, 50, 60 steps. They're like, how are we going to do it? I'm like, well, there's a way. You know, the guards will bring my chair up. I'll hold onto someone's arm and we'll walk up all those steps and take our time, but we'll get there and we'll do it. And then we'll sit front row. So I think it's really just about showing up and just what impact that has on the industry as a whole. People be like, well, who is that sitting there? Oh, he's in a wheelchair. And then it becomes this thing. It's like, well, now it's normalized it for everyone, right? Like going to Soul Fashion Week, they now have, or at least pre-COVID, protocols in place as to what to do when someone came in a wheelchair because I had been there. So I think that exposure is the biggest key to making great change in terms of disability inclusion. Yeah. Oh, so agree. And, you know, when you were talking earlier, when you were talking, I was thinking about, so two things I thought of, I thought of the fact that like, 
all three of us, like none of the viewers can see this right now, but we all have glasses on, right? But like, we need these to help us see, but these have become such a normal thing that you see on people's faces. Like many years ago, like it only like wealthy people would have been able to afford to have glasses and be able to see correctly. Right. But now we can all see correctly. And then I was thinking too about, I've noticed there's a big shift in handicap signs, right? Handicap signs, like, and maybe this is just me, but like the person's hands were always straight out, right. As almost as if they were being pushed. And now I see a lot of changes in handicap signs where the person's arms are behind them as they have control, like, and it's a control, like empowerment, like it feels like empowerment. And I see like, it's just a shift and they're subtle shifts that slowly people, they may not even notice that they're happening, but it, it changes the message. Right. And normal normalizing like, Oh yeah, whatever people, persons in a wheelchair, who cares? Right. Like, of course we thought through that process so that that person feels just as welcome and included as somebody else should become part of the norm. But the more you're visible and the more people are out there doing things, like it makes such a huge impact, like that student you're talking about. Exactly. It's really true. And I think I even see that socially with people who say, well, now, you know, since we've been friends for a few months, I've started now to look at the world around me differently. I've started to look at accessibility. I've started to think more about accessibility. I think also people need to remember that any of us could wake up tomorrow and become a person with a disability. Anyone could, you know, as we get older, anything would happen, you know, God forbid something happens to someone and they acquire a disability, right? But it could happen to anyone at any time. And I think people need to just be a little bit more cognizant that disability isn't something to be scared of and that people with disabilities do have agency over their own lives and they have independence. And, you know, that's one thing I liked about my international school, WAB, was that everything was a conversation. You know, Wab never once said to me, you cannot do this because of your disability. It was, let's talk about this. You know, do you want to go on the senior trip? You know, here are the activities we're doing and we're going to make it accessible as possible for you. But then I'm able to make that decision. Oh, actually, I don't think this would be the best decision for me because of the type of activities we're going to do. And even though I'd hate to miss out, it's not something that I really one would think that I'm able to do. And they laid everything out on the table for me and allowed me to make that decision. And it would support me regardless of what I wanted to do, whether I wanted to go or not. And I ultimately decided not to go, but then they made this whole other program for me because I didn't do that, right? And so I think for any educators listening, it's never assume or never decide for someone what they can or cannot do, especially if they have a disability, talk to them, right? So the, more often than not, they know what's, best for them in that case you know I mean obviously you know as a kid you don't always know what's best for you but if you're a person with a disability you know your limits better than anyone else and I think it's about understanding and talking and allowing them and giving them agency to say this is my limit this is what I can do this is what I can't do this is what I'm comfortable doing because at the end of the day they're the one who has to live it right so Mm -hmm. I mean it's crazy in today's day and age okay like I'm thinking about upcoming elections right like ugh. but oh. i'm thinking about back fdr like he was in a wheelchair and okay. what do i have the wrong one no teddy roosevelt yeah teddy okay. roosevelt there we go there we go one of ours okay teddy roosevelt was in a, a wheelchair right but there was no social media at that point right like it wasn't broadcast all over the world imagine imagine if images of teddy roosevelt were all over the world of seeing someone in a wheelchair lead the United States, right? And how that might've helped 
change perceptions, right? Like, and I think about the actress and Broadway star, Ali Stroker. She's been in like a ton of different musicals and she won a bunch of Tonys, but she like seeing her on main stage and performing on Broadway, like I've seen her now in a couple different things, like she's phenomenal, right? Like, so helping people start to, I don't know, but Teddy Roosevelt, there wasn't more images of people with, of that during that time period. Yeah, because it would have made a big change, I think, in how people, yeah, how people view disability. I mean, I think, it, you know, we're getting there. And I think especially for students, you know, just having those positive reinforcements for them and like showing them, like I, I've talked in a bunch of international schools now too with the kids just to kind of show them, look, someone with a disability can do this. Because if you think about it, I think back to when I was really young and in public school in Australia, when I was like, before we started going on postings, that the kids with disabilities were always separated or segregated from, from able-bodied students. What does that say then to those students, right? It shows them that those kids are quote-unquote special, right? They've grown up now at my age, having had kids segregated from them with disabilities their whole lives, Right. What does that say to them about people with disabilities? So where do these negative perceptions come from? It comes from how we engage with the disability community. And so having a classmate with a disability, showing kids content of of people with disabilities doing amazing things will change the, the way that they think of disability and the way that they then engage with people in the community going forth their whole lives, right? I was the only person with a disability in my class, graduating class at work with a physical disability, I think, in a wheelchair, at least, in a wheelchair, right? But I was still the manager of the soccer team. I managed the rugby team. I threw a fashion show. I did so many things and I never felt once really any different than any of my classmates, you know? So I think it's because I was in a really positive, loving environment, right? Oh, that's amazing. I would love to have you as a student. Oh, thank you. I'd love to have you as a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Jordy. I'm looking at the time. I was getting ready to ask about descriptive language, but I'll just tell the listeners to go ahead and buy the on-demand so that they can know exactly what that is, as he gave a great description, and that could be a solution as to one way in order to keep in mind for accessibility and disability students that they may have. So that will be all, Jordy. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here and sharing your story with us here today. Your insights are very valuable to us and your experience of, I hope we learned something from that. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. Thank you both for having me. It was an honor to be here and I look forward to working with you both in the future. Yeah, we have a course going in February, January, February. Awesome. January, yeah. Can't wait. Cool. Thanks, guys. All thank right. you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode inspiring and informative, please be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and share AMA with your educator friends. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and making a positive impact in the world of education. Bye-bye. Thank you.